Can you hear me now? Uh, a little bit better. Yeah, you're better. Is that better or no? Oh, hold on. Ooh, you're, I just blew out the microphone. You're clipping like crazy, pumpkin. Do, do, do. Hey, everybody. Free Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin, the host of this show. I think you've heard it before, so I don't need to belabor that. So today's podcast is interesting. I'm going to just jump right in it because it's longer. This may be a two-parter, but you'll have to decide where you're going to break up. But earlier this week, we did something for the Safety FM radio station, Jay Allen's radio station. He wanted to do a campfire conversation. Well, if you know my background at all, the one thing I'm super comfortable at is campfire conversations. I have done a million campfires. Or I probably have done a thousand because I did that for a living. So I'm, I'm good at the campfire thing. But anyway, he wanted to have some, some people sit around. So he, he actually contacted Mark Yeston, Bob Edwards, and myself and said, including him, would the four of us sit around and just have an open discussion, no agenda, about what we're thinking and what we're feeling right now. And that is what you're about to hear, that very conversation that we had. No agenda. We just kind of went with it and talked about what we were thinking about. A couple times Jay inserted some questions, but for the most part, it kind of carried its own water. And that's what you can hear today. So that is the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you're doing good. Check in with everyone you know and love. Check in with yourself. Be strong because the world's changing so fast. I don't even know what to tell you what is next. Well, I can tell you what's next. What's next is going to be Jay Allen's Safety FM Campfire Conversation with Todd, Mark, Bob, and Jay. I was thinking, what if we did this more along the lines like if we're just sitting around like a campfire? Yeah, that's fine. That's kind of how we do everything. We're just talking. Well, I mean, just talking opposed to it being some big production. No, kind of like already you guys are going where you're just talking. Well, that's how we do everything, Jay. So that's not going to be hard for us. Okay, cool. Well, I, my only issue, Jay, is we need to make sure we're six feet apart. Long okay. That. <laughs> I, I, I have moved the microphone that far back. Yeah. So we are, we are about as social distance as we can be. Well, we got Florida, Chattanooga, and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Santa Fe. We're like, yeah, but I just don't know how close Mark Mark came over here because I think he, Absolutely. I think he was feeling a little cabin fevery. Yeah, so I switched cabins. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess let's just go and just think about it this way. Where are you at? What are you thinking with this whole mess? Well, first off, we got to get our campfire going. <laughs> so, do we start with Kumbaya or do we end yes, with Kumbaya? Right. This is going to be the safest campfire well, I was ever. wondering if you were wearing an orange I, I, reflective I vest. I'm wrapped head to toe in tinfoil. We've got the fire department on standby, but they're not worried because all of our houses here are made out of clay. That's right. They're mud. We live mud, in mud houses. Mud houses. <laughs> so should I get my guitar? No. Do we do? Are we going to do any sing-alongs, do you think? I kind of wondered if you already had some pre-recorded banjo play. I really did. I always have that, Jay. That, that's not hard for me at all. Pocket. I'm sad right now. I was telling Bob before you got on, I'm sad John now. Prine. John Prine is in the hospital in intensive care in critical condition as a as a COVID-19 um, victim, and that scares me. That makes me sad. And we lost them. Yep. So he said John Prine was in the hospital? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello? Intensive care. I guess he's on a ventilator. So Hello? Did Prine, everyone yeah. die? Uh. Hello? Yep, I don't know Uh-oh. what happened to Todd Mark. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, it's, well, it looks like they dropped. It says, reco- it says recording in progress on my side, it, and then I it looks like they dropped on, on theirs. So yeah, how are I things, think I might have just lost how are things going is, with uh, you? my best well, track Well, so, I, you know, I'm just right now just trying to figure out what to do it, during this time period. You know, we were going to do that, and hopefully, I guess we still will be able keep, to do that. Good thing we're not live. I can't uh, podcast, keep, uh, so you can kind of see what that looks Wi-Fi. like. I think we we'll be able to help some more on your keep Wi-Fi. some things in motion <laughs> with that. Yeah, like you do. Uh, you could probably pick up uh, you know, Todd and Mark and I were just talking about how the other side of this looks like, it's going to be different. Are you guys there? We lost you. Lost yeah, we, you, we lost you guys. You. Yeah, you guys went into sort of a grayed out mode there. There was no sound, little indication that you guys were getting through. What did you have yes. to do? Log back on? 
That's, yep. That's because we put too much lighter fluid. Yeah, we put too much. The, the, <laughs> the flames got too high. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. It's probably my, my Wi-Fi or my internet. I just have really bad internet. Not you. Never. It's true. I live in the sticks. So do I. <laughs> so here's what I think. I'll, I'll start this and give us give us some topic for us to chat about. I think there's two things. One, what concerns me most of all is that this is probably the largest crisis of our lifetime. I mean, I don't know what the future's going to hold, but I hope it's it's less than this. And it's hard because this doesn't feel like a crisis when it's not in current crisis mode in your location. But it's clearly a problem and it's clearly frightening and it's clearly global. And we know it's big because it's impacted everything, every, every way anybody works anywhere pretty much in the world, at least that I'm talking to, everybody's kind of in the same place. Yeah, I just saw a friend of mine at uh, the store. I used to work with him at the, the old GE side I worked at at Roper. Uh, anyway, he works for a, a car manufacturing place now, and he's been there 10 years. And he said that they are shut down now, but they can't start back up until the big three start back up because all the sub-tiers aren't available to make parts. So they're oh. kind of in this weird holding pattern. Cascading effects. Yeah, yeah. Out of cost manufacturing. Which is normal in complex systems, right? Yep. So complex systems are always, the couplings are going to be where things are going to happen. And that's a really good example of a coupling, right? So they can't work until the bigs work. And the bigs can't work until, you know, there's a, some kind of market out there to sell their product. And, right. and my guess is, is that that part's probably pretty frightening. Yeah, so and, then, and, then, and then there's other industries who can't hire people fast enough. You know, the food delivery places. The my my daughter works for a, a big chain store that sells groceries and stuff, and they're paying them. They're actually, it's interesting. They actually are giving the older folks that work for them paid leave, and they're hiring younger people to stock the shelves. And they're paying my daughter uh, like overtime. They want they want her in there every hour she can possibly come in. The guy that came in hooked our internet up. Um, so we just put in high speed stuff here, and and he said he's getting like a twenty five percent increase in his pay during this time period because there's such a huge demand for him to get out there. All you know, all the kids that are at home now that need to do home or whatever distance learning school. It's quite interesting how some industries are like gangbusters, going gangbusters, but then the bulk of them are in this weird limbo. And think about that because Walmart's hiring 300,000 people. Amazon's hiring 300,000 people. Whatever that Insta Grocery or whatever the grocery delivery yeah, yeah. What's it called, Mark? Um, Instacart. Instacart is hiring 90,000 people. And they were also planning a strike. Yeah, they were striking today, I heard. Or, or a walkout, right? Yeah. So it's... That's the interesting part, though, because there's so many different aspects of this whole thing. Like right now, even using the example of Walmart, Walmart right now was trying to do an instant 15,000 people hiring. Last week, they were running something that said that if you actually applied online, they could hire you the same day and get you start working. Yeah, I mean, needs going to be driving that, right? I mean, that's crazy, which is going to put a lot of people into this workforce. <clears throat> And what scares me, you guys, and, and jump in on this, is that this isn't a substitute. Not that those are bad jobs. I don't mean to say they're bad jobs. They're just not high-paying jobs. And what worries me is, are we changing the employment landscape by by putting people into these jobs that they would maybe make more money doing other jobs? I, I don't know what i'm saying here help me well, out anybody. They, well they don't feel like they're not sustainable it's almost like seasonal it's a weird word to use but yeah. seasonal jobs in retail at around thanksgiving christmas time period right well this is not seasonal but is it is um it's pandemic driven need and then after on the other side of this whatever that looks like are those jobs still there or have they gone away is or is this a new becomes a new norm i i don't know yet 
Well, and, and how how about the safety people that are out there working in these warehouses or really anywhere? You know, the toilet paper guys, right? Are They've got all these new green hats on the floor, yep. still running high-risk operations. Because, you know, I don't know how you guys think, but the scariest thing to me in a, in a workplace is probably a fork truck, right? Yeah. And, and so now you got all these people running equipment, you're probably going to see increased injuries because they're new employees. We know that. And you've got safety people that, that don't have ready access to a support network they would normally have probably running lean, probably working all sorts of crazy hours and probably 90% of what they're doing is around biohazard COVID protection. Yeah. And so things like lifting and you know, machine, yeah, machine guarding. Yeah, right. Lockout, tagout. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably not auditing lockout, tagout if I'm trying to get masks and gloves for people, or or cleaning, you know, handrails every thirty minutes, or yeah, yeah, yeah. plexiglass screens up in front of the cash register. Yeah. How do you yeah. guys feel about the lack of PPE? I mean, well, other than I, it's just inexcusable. I think a lot about that. So you know, we're talking about how people's jobs have changed or gone away, or you know, massive hiring is going on. Think about the people, and I'm in touch with a lot of them because of you know my background and career, who are working in healthcare. Uh, not only have they stayed at work, their work has intensified incredibly. So I was uh, teaching a class of uh, nurses and physicians from all over the country just a couple of weeks ago. And we've sort of stayed in touch as they've gone back to their own jurisdictions and to a person. They're talking about the shortages of, of PPE, which is amazing because in our safety work, you know, we're, that's kind of, you know, inviolate PPE, you know, you're off the job or whatever. And, and here right. we're asking people in the most um, dangerous time of, of our, uh, of our life experiences to, improvise and go without the, the fact that, and I'm not trying to, you know, who to blame. I have no idea, but uh, the fact that we are running low on personal protective equipment or we're already out of it in some cases, you know, on right. some ambulances, they've, they gave up the, the N95 mask some time ago in favor of just regular surgical masks. And it's interesting when I, when I started my career it was about the time um, HIV AIDS was emerging and and the and the notion of uh, PPE for first responders and paramedics and police and firefighter in the field was kind of non-existent. I mean, I remember the first ambulance I worked on in a metropolitan area. The only pair of rubber gloves were in the obstetrical baby delivery kit. Right. And my mentors at that time <clears throat> were mostly uh, former Vietnam medics. These guys had tremendous skills. I mean, they could dart somebody with an IV from across the room. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they had to start adapting to this yeah. new reality. And wearing gloves to them pretty much turned them into four-year-olds. They get the tape stuck and the fingers wrapped together and <laughs> basically became non-functional. And then we transitioned relatively quickly into what we call BSI, body substance isolation, universal precautions yeah. for every yep. 911 call. And it is drilled in day one on all emergency responders and emergency room staff that, you know, this is what you do before you encounter any patient. And now at this critical time, a lot of that material is not available. And Mark, you said something really interesting. And I, I've seen this happen, not just in the safety world, but you said things that were basically like a fireable offense, right? Now, now it's like, well, well, you can use the same PPE and well, I'm going to keep it and use it again because I don't have anything else. Now, wait a minute, that would have been a fireable offense a month ago. Now, right. all of a sudden, because we're having to adapt. A quick example is my kids at school. If you drop them off more than five minutes late, they're considered tardy. Well, now all of a sudden, we're trying to figure out how to even get anything done at the house through all this distance learning stuff with 14 different websites you have to log into. All of a sudden, that five-minute rule doesn't even matter at all anymore. So it's really interesting to see how things can change so quickly. Well, the first casualty of a crisis is always going to be rules. Right. Right. And that makes us ask some questions. One is, how important are these damn rules anyway? I mean, if, <laughs> if they're the first thing we throw away right. when, when things get tough, then clearly those rules exist for some other reason than operational efficiency. And couple that then with the fact that, at least in healthcare, so, so it's inexcusable that we don't have PPE. It's just, it's just inexcusable. But the crazy thing is, is that we have a highly infectious disease, 30 times more infectious than the flu, and we don't give frontline workers the correct PPE, and we're sort of, in a way, blaming 
the practitioner for the lack of it's really weird for the for the lack of equipment it's it's become this bizarre phenomenon well and it's it what it's interesting to me we 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 praise people who work in healthcare for being dedicated quote unquote they're they're so dedicated you know people who go into that line of work are certainly dedicated but i think a more accurate term in times like these is that they're what i would call morally hostage and morally hostage to the situation is that, you know, by inclination, training and profession, they're going to run toward the fire. They're going to run toward the problem yep. and try to help people. And they know that if they decide to make a stand and not show up, which I hope they don't do and they won't do, um, they're leaving the people that they work with. And they also care about the rest of their team at a disadvantage. Yep. Yep. And, well, uh, and I, I think you feel like you, you must go because it's just programmed into you. But if for the people that must go or must receive these patients, everybody needs to do everything we can to, to keep them as safe as possible. Because the worst thing you can do in an emergency is to become part of the emergency when you're there yeah, to yeah. solve the problem. And if you're yep. getting sick, then it just complicates the situation. So, Jay, did you want to say something? Because you need to hold the talking stick if you're going to talk. OK. And, uh, and Bob, you need to take another bong hit. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so what are your, <laughs> in Tennessee. Are you this, and let me just kind of open this up. What do you think about this whole thing of people now using bandanas as using that as a protective measure at the point? And then the other portion, you've, you're hearing news now outside of coming out of New York where they're letting four year medical students graduate early where they can intern inside of some of these hospitals. What are your thought processes behind some of this? Let's divide those up because that's those are two, two different, really distinct and different topics so the bandana thing is you know is just crazy it's it's a desperate attempt to provide something because the belief that something is better than nothing is really a strong kind of held belief it's not better than nothing and it's goofy i mean I'll, mark will have to speak to this or bob can speak to it they've got backgrounds in this but it's it's just a, it's it's a desperate attempt it'd be like putting somebody on fall protection with yeah, a yeah, with a piece of you know like a piece of yarn yeah, yeah of bind, binders twine or we're out of webbing so we'd like you to use some of this parachute cord it yeah probably works yeah it's good it's, it's good parachute good. cord yeah. it's not the best parachute cord better than nothing right, right. so I, I, I think, think that some of the, that some of the bandanas do look cool I mean you got to give them you know, for <laughs> style they just don't do anything oh, they must they must do they must have some impact do they because if it's if it's yeah, if it's do. droplets i think a bandana probably stops droplets but it's they're saying it's not droplets it's aerosolized so the choir do you guys follow the choir that got infected in washington today so they had a, a community choir practice and 60 people came and 40 of them have coronavirus oh no but they practiced social um distancing so they were six feet apart they didn't hug. They didn't shake hands, but they were singing. They were singing. And so singing clearly you, you must aerosolize. I mean, I can't teach a class without spitting on the people in the front row. That's good to know. Well, that's why there's a sign. If you go to one of my classes, it says the first three rows, you will get wet. <laughs> yeah, but, but a bandana, a bandana will absolutely keep dust and stuff out of your mouth. I mean, we, you know, we, we wear bandanas if you're out in a dusty environment or whatever, but like in the military, you, if you're in a, where they've gassed you with CS gas in training, a bandana, bandana, keep the dust out of your mouth, but it won't help you with the nasty chemical. You need your protective mask on, right? Can I give you a little historic sidebar? Yeah. Just, just because I know this, because I live in the American, the great American West, a bandana is never, never, ever, ever put across your face a bandana is basically a handkerchief what you put across your face is called a neck rag and it's bigger usually brightly colored almost always made of some kind of silk so just in case you're wondering if anyone if you ever play trivial pursuit in some bar that serves good hamburgers and it's for stamp well, like Stampeding, yeah, that would be a good time. Yes, <laughs> I think it can be used for robbing banks, right? I think they yeah, bank robbery, right? bank robbery, or blowing your nose. Oh, that's a bandana would blow your nose. The difference between neck rag and bandana is interesting. Well, let's go to question two because I think question two is really interesting, and that is fourth year med students trading off really the last semester of their training to actually go into the field and do the work. I think it's great. I do too. 
it's like a corporal. It's like a corporal in combat who gets promoted because he shows leadership, and they need people to lead soldiers into battle, right? Yep. What do you think He's, about all these retirees coming in? Well, and so the numbers I, have been huge. Yep, I know. I I contacted the military today and and left my information with them because they're asking for anybody that that might be available to help. And you know, I'm, I'm in, you know I have an engineering background. They may not need me, but if they do, I'll. You know, and I'm a I'm a I was a first responder for years too. So we'll, yeah, I think it's fine, right? People come out to help. That's if you've got skills that will help, we should do that. And that's part of what's interesting to me is that the social distancing, which is really rife with potential um, sociological problems, has really become more of a a way that we're sort of increasing social connectedness by different ways. So volunteerism is going up, which is great. People are checking on each other. I mean, people are working really diligently to make sure um, that people are taken care of and are included. And that's really important. Yeah, I think there's a great reserve there that if the testing comes to the point, you know, beyond just detection testing, but immunity and serum testing, which they're working very hard on right now. If we are feeling quite confident that those who were either had and recovered from the disease or picked it up and were asymptomatic and now have, you know, a pretty decent chance of being immune, that's a pool of people that can uh, take this time to go and help out others. I mean, I'd be at the food kitchen right now if I knew I wasn't going to get anybody else sick. Yeah, yeah. So what are you seeing that the next phases are going to be? And I know this is the crystal ball question that I love to ask people, but what are you, what are you seeing next based on some of like the, the research that you've done probably on the Spanish, you know, the, the Spanish flu that occurred many, many, many moons ago. So what are you, what are you thinking? And this, go, this is for anyone. Well, it's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. So, I mean, as, as difficult as this is to say, cause it's just difficult to say it's going to get, I mean, a lot of people are going to die. And you can kind of predict it. You can look around the world at, at countries that are ahead of us and sort of see where it goes. After it gets worse, then I think that's going to be a really important time because at the risk of sounding like I'm repeating myself, which I've never hesitated to do, let's just put that on the record. We're going to, the work, the organization that you left two weeks ago will not be the same organization that you come back to. Because people are going to, they're going to have stories about this. They're going to have family members that died. They're going to have friends that died. I mean, I was talking to my uh, friend who works for a large soft drink company in Atlanta. I don't want to say the name. That seems like that would be right. And, and he's got two associates he works with that are in ICUs on ventilators. Wow. The, so the the notion of restoration is going to be a really important part of what happens. And I think organizations are going to need to be thinking about, this is hard too, but they're going to need to be thinking about how are we going to reenter this new world? How are we bringing people back? What kind of PTSD work are we going to do with them? And it's hard when you're in the midst of a crisis, thinking about what's next is oftentimes minutes and hours away, not weeks away. But we'll get through this. I mean, because 80% of us that get this, and probably all of us will get it, but 80% of us that get this won't really suffer. I mean, other than getting kind of sick. Right. right. So we're going to have to think about what it looks like when companies turn the switch back on. And what kind of recovery and restoration do we need to do for the people who kept the lights on? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. Or, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, um, this changes the world. The the Spanish flu of 1918 changed the world. I mean, and that's that's the same thing that's happening now, which is scary. I mean, I, I don't know, Jay, what you're doing, but in most of the people I talk to, I just ask them, are you scared? And I'm pretty impressed that in our little community, people are pretty free and tell you, yeah, that there, there's a lot of anxiety. And I think a lot of the recovery is going to have to do with how this plays out. I mean, we, we're, we've been living in a climate uh, that's very divisive for a number of reasons. And whether we choose to think that uh, 
you know, this will not affect me. Like people like us in smaller communities don't feel as threatened, certainly as people like in New York. And you've seen some of the the attempts to, you know, isolate people from states, which may be a wise thing to do for a public health perspective. But uh, if we start to get us and them, rather than having this as a unifying shared experience, that's going to have everything to do with when we begin to recover, how well we do at recovery. If we become crazy and divided in our, you know, local uh, ad hoc militias close down tiny towns and stuff like that, when the disease is actually headed their way, it's just coming at a slower pace. Um, that's, that's spooky. I have friends who've been prepping for this kind of stuff forever and they see this as the, the go moment to lock down and, and uh, keep everybody out, which like, again, from a public health perspective might be kind of wise, but the way we carry that out uh, can be very, very dangerous and spooky. So when I start seeing things in the news, like uh, the infection rate among, uh, you know, uh, Republicans versus Democrats, which is really a geographic question rather than a political question. Yeah, yeah. What I fear yeah. is that people think because I am of a particular political persuasion, I'm somehow immune to this. We're talking about nature here and nature bats last. And it's it's pretty agnostic to, you know, how you feel politically, religiously or anything else. We're human beings and we need to kind of come together around this as much as possible. Yeah, I saw a thing with World Health Organization where they said, uh, you know, viruses and things like this don't don't really give a, they don't care about boundaries. They don't, they don't know a border. They just go where they go. Right. And we're, we're so programmed, you know, in recent years or many years we've been working toward this where, uh, you know, we identify ourselves and others by categories that aren't necessarily useful. And I think that's just part of the human condition, but how we manage that is really important to how we're going to recover. Well, and I think it's interesting that you're bringing this up because right now here in Florida, they have actually mentioned that they actually are blocking off the state lines and they're verifying people that are coming down from New York for, and telling them that they have to quarantine for 14 days before they can proceed on. I just don't know where these people are supposed to be going. Right. Where are they going? Well, that's that's a great question. The George news is not Disney is, World. It's not very informative on what they're supposed to do next once they get here, and they have closed down portions of, not, of one of the main interstates here, which is ninety five, um, to do that. So wow. it's very, it's just intriguing on how this is actually going about. Yeah, it's spooky. My mom is eighty five years old with dementia in a care facility in Florida, and uh, you know I was able to briefly see her for her birthday. You know, and uh, they've since locked down the facility and trying to explain to her what's going on and why people can't come visit her and stuff like that's really tough. And of course, she had, you know, the classic response. She said, well, do they have enough Lysol? Right. Which is well, charming. yeah, that's actually yeah. a pretty good question nowadays, right? Yeah. That's what we used to clean everything that with was, Lysol. Yeah, and she put, used to spray me down with Lysol when I'd come yes. in after a bike rack. Yeah. <laughs> so as you guys are thinking about this, how different do you think this world is going to be once we open back up, once things start opening? Do you think when they say, okay, social distancing is no more, will there still be people that are holding back where there is the fear that something might happen. Will you be able to go to a concert? Will well, people be, be willing to go to a concert? Well, that's a, do you want to go, Jay? I'll ask you that. Would you go to a movie? Right now, I don't think I would go much of anywhere. I think that right now, if they turned around and told me that public schools are open effective two weeks from now, I wouldn't send my daughter out of fear. Right. And I think it'll be interesting. I, because I think we've been given a language for how to stay because we've all been in that situation before because we all work in environments where we're just meeting new people every day. And it's customary to handshake and get close and talk to people and uh, lean in. And I think now we've been given kind of this social permission and language that even let's say it's five years from now and this is past us. Uh, but you feel like you have a scratchy throat, you'll be able to say to somebody who extends their hand, hey, I'm social distancing because I have a scratchy throat. <laughs> so this may be bad yeah. for the common cold in the long run. Well, yeah, I was just I had to ship something off today. So I went to a, I won't say the name of the place. But it doesn't matter. But uh, the lady there is always very, very quiet and very um, I mean, you can just tell she's a very shy person. And so my daughter went with me and she's very chatty. And she said, this social distancing thing is driving me crazy because I'm such a social person. And the lady behind the counter said, um, actually, I like it. I hope it stays. <laughs> so I think for her, it was like, finally, I can get people to stay away from me. So, Yeah, well, my wife is famous. You know, all of our vehicles are kind of like the boy in the bubble. Anytime she steps out of a car and goes and does anything, comes back, we have gallons of hand sanitizer, and that's just been the normal mode of business. So all of our friends around here say, well, just just do Carol. Carol's been doing this for years. <laughs> Carol's squirt, really squirt, like, a, like a spray down machine right before you walk into your house. It's like, and then I know. You go 
But you, I mean, you, I mean, things are gonna. It's it's hard to know what it'll look like, but it's going to be different. And part of it is because the confidence has been sort of rocked at the fundamental level that the world's a safe place. Well, nine eleven so, rock nine eleven rocked our world when it came to flying, right? And yet we did go back to flying. But but nine eleven, as bad as nine eleven was. You had a clear sort of sense of you could you could take it kind of in a Nietzsche and existentialism way, and you you had a you had somebody to blame, right? Right, right. And, and so blame answers all those questions. The problem with the virus is is it 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 really is agnostic, and I mean, yet we still seek to blame because that's one of our natural go tos. Just like in our safety, where once you know, give me the person that I can hold responsible for this. So we've got people angry at the president, people angry at Congress, people angry at the Chinese, people angry at the airlines, people angry at you know their neighbors for taking a trip or something like that. Um, but the virus doesn't care; it really doesn't. It's nature, which is frightening as hell, really scary, but it's hard to manage. I mean, it's hard to be angry with something that's not actually truly alive. But right. kill Mark, you. Mark, you've responded to a lot, like I have, to a lot of really bad events in as a first responder and a firefighter. You know, we, we go in after the, the tornado just rips something apart and you can just you can be so angry at that tornado, but you can't do anything about it. You're like the. the it's no, just, so you become angry at the tow truck drivers or the fire department becomes right. pissed off at the cops and the cops are mad at the paramedics and the paramedics are mad at the nurses. And but what you're really mad at is human that, nature, that, but it's manageable. Yeah, you're mad at that tornado, but you can't stop that tornado. You can't bring it under control. Well, and the idea, I mean, it goes back to something we've talked about for years, and that is the idea that bad things can just happen right. is almost unacceptable. There has to be a cause, right? There must be a cause. There, there must be a cause. And so we desperately look for the cause because we want to oversimplify, which is, which is a part of when complex systems fail, <clears throat> our response is to go to a simple solution. Yep. Well, there is no simple solution to this. I mean, there's, you know, everybody in the world probably will be tested. Uh, that's a bold statement. But lots of people in the world will be tested. At least psychologically. And tested. and let's think about reentering the workplace. So I'm going to bring my guys back. What's that going to look like? Do I right. do I test everybody? Yeah, probably. Do I have temperature screening at the at the front at the gate? Mm-hmm. Probably. I mean, probably so. It's interesting to me that and Bob, you recently traveled internationally. The when I traveled internationally, I got temperature screened, gosh, a bunch of times. Almost everywhere except the big sort of like I didn't get it in Australia and I didn't get it in the United States, but everywhere else in Mexico, when I got off the plane, they took my temperature. And I was amazed, Todd, you know, I mean, we were in Asia when this was first breaking and it wasn't really hitting the news yet. And even in the tiny little podunk, you know, Sam Reed Airport in Cambodia, they had public health staff yeah. with kind of advanced temperature screening. I, I happened to peek you know, into one of their booths and there was a video image of people walking down the corridor and yeah, yeah. each person had a, a colored dot above their head. And if you were orange or red, you know, these little people in suits just kind of whisked you away. Could they see you naked? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, well, was it x-ray vision? I can't say. <laughs> Dang, I wish I'd have known that. I was there for an hour. So that, that tells me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> And then we came back into the U.S. and it was, you know, cattle call at, yeah. at customs. Yeah. You know, so we weren't there yet. It was really weird. Bob, when you reentered after Australia last week, any, did they do anything special? Nothing. And, and the interesting thing was, is there was, there was, I mean, it was, wasn't very many people, right? I mean, it was, I, I came in after, I think a lot of that, that really crazy trying to figure it out. But yeah, there was no checking of anything. Not, not that I know of. I mean, I don't know that I walked past any kind of a temperature screening deal. And so, I well, and then that, that's the thing is that in some of the foreign countries, even if to go into a marketplace, you have to actually have a temperature screen just to be able to get in, which I still find a little bit amazing that they're not doing here. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because then you go into the whole aspect of, well, now you're giving up certain freedoms and all this other crap talk that we can go into. But I just look at it and go, where where does it go next? And does it make sense to actually test everyone as Bill Gates has come out and said on some of the social media platforms and platforms that he's been on? Like, what is the best next step? So I think you can answer you can answer that politically or you can answer that operationally. And I think they're they're two different answers. The, the, the question that I'd put out is when the guys come back to the plant, 
What's that going to look like? Because it's not going to be the same. I mean, we know it's not going to be the same. So, so when they come back in the plant, is it different? And I think the answer is it's going to be different. I think people are really right now out there researching and learning as much as they can about whatever kind of pre-screening we can do. And this, this, this line between health and safety is kind of going away. And I wonder what the dynamics going to be between the people who didn't go home from work, the essential workers, you know, the linemen, the hospital workers, stuff like that. So their overhead is, you know, teleconferencing from home and they're in the thick of it. So now you got a ton of separation between work is done and work is imagined. I never missed a beat. And while you all left, we managed to get the job done, which shows us how much we need you. That'll (laughs) be something. But it's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, And you think about all the people all the people that are running the plant and all the people that are at home, you know, zooming into each other six times a day to have meetings about junk. And you ask this question, how, how necessary are they? Yeah, it's a really good question. And and even just thinking about like I'm a manufacturer, right? That's been my whole career. We set these efficiency uh, targets for these lines at a, like a five foot pitch. So we've got people, you're within a couple of foot on either side, all the way down this assembly line. And then we've always said, well, if you're sick, don't come to work. But now what if are we going to screen them with a temperature scanner as they walk in? If you're sick, we turn you around and send you home. I mean, regardless of whether it's COVID-19 or whatever kind of flu or virus you have, it could really impact the whole manufacturing world uh, on the other side of this. Well, and, I, and the other thought behind it is a couple different things. Number one, there was a lot of jobs before we got into this that people said you couldn't do from home, which now that seems to be different. And then number two, how much automation is going to come out of this going forward? Like how prominent are some of these Amazon stores going to be where you can just walk in and grab items and walk out where there's no physical cashiers and it can automatically scan you when you're actually leaving? And then the automation such as logistics, warehousing and transportation, where they can do that in automation is that going to be something that comes big outside of this? Ask that, que- ask that question differently. Is is social distancing going to rapidly increase automation? And I that's a that's a better question to ask because I, I think the automation thing th- that cow's already left the barn, right? So that's happening. Um, is social distancing going to speed that up so that we can do a lot more uh, commerce exchanges? with a lot less interface with another human being, which now uh, six weeks ago, I would have said, Oh, that's unattractive to me. But now that's kind of attractive. Yeah. Cause I mean, I kept on complaining when I would go to the grocery store and I had to check myself out. I kept on going, Hey, am I going to get a W2 at the end of the year? But now it's like, well, that's not a good joke anymore. Yeah, no, it's, it's okay. way different joke, isn't it? And, and I, like people that are using food delivery or, or, uh, the, where they shop for you and you drive up and, up and pick it up, whatever that's called. It must have some kind of name. Sorry, you guys. I don't <laughs> know what it's called, but right. It, yeah, it's just called pickup, I think. Yeah. But, but that's <laughs> when you look at it and once you kind of figure out the, the voodoo on how to shop that way, I, I have a pretty big question. I'm not sure I need to go back to a store. No, well, remember, it's been seven, eight years ago, maybe even longer when Walmart or some of the big retailers were proposing just having like, you know, pit tags on each item that yeah. you buy. And basically you fill your cart and you just blow past a sensor. Yeah. It makes note of everything you bought, charges your credit card. And there were privacy concerns like I don't want anybody to know that I buy Cheetos in such large quantities. Oh, everyone but knows. I bet if that was if a bit, if that Cheetos, out, you cannot yeah. hide Cheetos. If that was the rolled orange out, fingers will give you away. Yeah, Cheeto finger. But if you uh, if they rolled that out as a service today, I mean, we've still got kiosks where you insert your credit card while you're trying to distance from the the poor clerk who's kind of horrified back there. And uh, and then you have to sign that stupid screen. And none of us use our signatures anyway. You draw a smiley face or a squiggly line or something. And somehow that's an essential part of the process. Yeah, Yeah. I think that'll go away pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the other thing was that over the weekend, at least here in Florida, some of the grocery stores started putting up plexiglass to divide you yeah, from right. snacks guards. Yeah, you're seeing that. So I'm seeing that a lot of places as well. Yeah. So yep. that's an interesting idea. And that's going to change. So those are the things that when this is when this settles down, whatever over looks like, those are some pretty interesting questions. That adaption that was put in very quickly and it's socialized almost immediately, so there's not a lot of, but you don't have to explain why you did it. That adaption's probably pretty smart. 
Well, every store that I go in that's still open, like a hardware store or whatever, they've got markings on the ground that, you know, you, when you walk in up there to, to line up, you stand at, at the mark. And you know what, people, it's weird because people are are just doing it. They're just standing at that mark and they move up to the next mark. When that person moves forward, nobody seems to be having a problem with it. And that's a libertarian talking because, you know, I'm all about freedom. Now, Bob, we have to might ask, um, why are you hanging out at hardware stores? Well, because I'm working on my boat. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Priorities. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, I mean, part of my part of my commitment to social distancing is getting my wife and three youngest kids that still live at home out on the lake every chance we can, because that's good fresh air. And in the country, that's the way we social distance. We, we go fishing or we go, uh, you know, out on the lake. Well, my daughter is a river guide and her plan at the outset of this thing was just to grab some of her boatman friends that were otherwise healthy in a small group and just launch a, an extended two or three week trip down the Colorado river into deep canyons. But of course, you know, we're closing that stuff off, but. Oh, are the, are the, are the big parks closing? Cause our local ones are open right now. Well, they're closing national parks left and right. Grand Canyon is still open and people who live there, there's about 2000 people who live on the South Rim. And when they lifted the entrance fees, uh, people just and the and a mixed message came out from Washington, D.C., like, go enjoy your national parks. And so people kind of flooded into places like Grand Canyon, not appreciating the fact that they also need lodging and camping and restaurants yeah. and services like that. And of course, all of those things are closed. And now you just have tens of thousands of people who came into the park and very limited services and the employees are still being forced to work and they are not happy. Yellowstone, Yosemite, I think Grand Teton is closed. Grand Canyon remains open for some indiscernible reason. Wow. How weird is it that hotels are closed? That's just weird. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting because of course, me being where I'm at in Orlando, when they announced that Disney was closed for a couple of weeks and so was Universal Studios, people started to freak out. And then a couple of days later, they announced that all the hotels in the area are closed as well. Now they have made an announcement, at least out of the Disney side, that Disney World will be closed indefinitely. So people in Orlando don't know what to do because this is kind of a bit, a big portion of the economy yeah. for Orlando. So they're, they're at a loss. Plus they actually have furloughed a good chunk of the employees at Disney. So it's, it's, it's interesting here. I mean, it's, if you were to drive down I drive, which I have not done, which is one of the major drives here, there's no one there. Wow. And this is just based on some of what my friends have told me, cause I'm not crazy enough to go out there. That's crazy. And think, think about like what a bad time it would be to be a burglar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, burgling must have, the bottom must have just dropped, dropped out of the out burgling of the industry because yeah. everyone's home. I mean, you just like, can't really rob anybody because they're there. Right. Well, unless you want to do it with the people there. Now, of course, me being in one of the convention capitals of the world, they're saying that actually they have already refunded three, $371 million from the convention center alone here in Orlando wow. just to get money back to people. Either that is a reschedule or actually doing a, an actual full blown refund because and, of all the cancellations. And so that's going to have impact, right? I mean, that's going to have giant impact and you, you, and you, you can sort of watch it. And then you ask this question, well, what's the plan for recovery? Yeah, Will sure. conventions look the same? So a lot of meetings that have gone online, I, I, I went to one last week or I didn't go anywhere. I just sat in my chair. Uh, it was a pretty good conference and I didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. And, and you I know, we started doing a little bit of the HOP stuff online with, with the virtual and it's not, it's not the same as being there, but it's better I guess than doing nothing. What scares me about that, not with you, Bob, but what scares me about with other companies doing safety training online is that they haven't rethought their class yeah. so that it's effective for distance learning, yeah. right? Cause there's a whole, you know, term of art. That's a, that's a whole skill set for distance learning. And yeah. so training's going to change dramatically um, because the classes that we stand up and deliver don't really translate incredibly well no. to, to distance learning. And so that's going to be interesting to watch as well. And then yeah. I just worry about, I just worry about people keeping, you know, their family fed. Right. 
I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting time to see how it's going to come out on the backside of this whole thing and then how this whole new training format, because that's the other thing with so many people not being available or being let go. How many companies are able to put on trainings at this time as well? That's the other side of the whole equation. Right. And how many, you know, how long is it going to take, if ever, for for them in mass to say, okay, now we can bring 700 of our employees together from all over the world for a big conference. I think that's going to be quite a ways out. Oh, and then, yeah, and I some, think I think we're probably years away from that. I mean, I, I, I just getting the airlines back up with some kind of schedule is going to be remarkably interesting. I mean, how many planes? They got tons of planes parked in Tucson and Tulsa and Tallahassee. I'm now I'm listing cities that start with the, T. We start with T. Yeah, yeah. That's, my, that's my theme. <laughs> Topeka. It's a national secret you just gave me. <laughs> but the other thing, too, is let's say, for instance, things start getting back to norm and they say, hey, we want one of you to come over and teach a class. How giddy are you going to be to doing this? Oh, I'm fine. I mean, I, I would. What about you, Mark? Well, once we're under some semblance of control here, which I think might be a while, but I mean, I certainly wouldn't, you know, I had some, it was really interesting to watch as the, because I had a pretty darn full calendar and uh, regular communications and email dispatches from the various organizations as they kind of went through their decision-making. And I would have to say that they all followed the same course, but just at different rates. They're like, Hey, we're, you know, we're still on, Hey, we're going to not travel as many people in hey, uh, we might consider doing this remotely to all within two or three days of each other. Like, it's canceled. We're done. We're not going to do this. Yeah, same thing, Mark. I watched all of April just dissolve in about a week's time. Yeah, yeah no, everything through June dissolved. <clears throat> of course, yep. the airlines still have my money, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but but I, and I think that that when it ramps back up, it will go a similar way. You know, companies will start to see what other companies are doing and what's yeah. working for them. It's looking to me like everything's going to reschedule in October. It's going to be sad. October is going to be horrible. Well, what I think a lot is, is people actually trying to do some of these bigger conferences is refull rebooks the, a year later. And yeah. it seems like that's what a lot of the conventions, quote unquote, are trying to sell to other people, where they say, let's do it a year later. Right. Like the Olympics. Right. right. And that's what even the, uh, I was talking to Lisa with ORCHSE, that they've already kind of gigged that hop meeting in January. So they, they moved it back six months or so, seven months probably. So, but one wonders, looking at the news, if we'll be back to sort of normal ops. Well, I don't think we're coming back to normal ops. Let me, let me suck that word back in. There'll be a new so, normal. Uh, if we're back to the way we, we do work. And, yeah. So do you, so on Sunday when it was announced that the social distancing should, t- should continue through April the 30th, do you agree with that as the resolution for the time being? Oh God, yes. Have you not looked at the data on that? Oh, I've looked at all kinds of data, but I want people's opinions. I mean, well, the, I the, I mean the, the social distancing is, I mean, it, it makes an enormous difference in, in the capacity of our healthcare. And so, yeah, I mean, it's fewer people will die if we, if we don't hang out with each other. And so, I mean, it's, it's not even an argument I, and I hate it. I'm, it's, I, I, it's not going to be the first extension. You know, I, yeah, it'll. Yeah, so when you say you're all for it, Todd, it's not like, yeah, I'm all for back, back to normal after that date. That's not going to be the case. Hopefully, oh. we're in a much better situation then. But uh, we've got some. There's a lot going on. I'm scared what normal's going to look like. I mean, I, I, I'm, I got a lot of anxiety around what's going to happen. I mean, what, what's this going to look like? I think through the summer, normal's going to be almost what we're doing now. Sitting naked in a hot tub <laughs> with a campfire floating around. <laughs> in a hot tub with Mark at the moment. Hey, you know, whatever. More power to you. Oh no, we're all together. Don't act like you're not here, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so with the people that are listening to our little chat, here, is there any part of you that's not tattooed? <laughs> uh, the back of my head. That's about it. Okay, just checking. Um, so with the people that are listening, what what messaging would you want to tell them? So I've thought about this a lot. So there's, there's, there's really a couple messages that I think are really important. One is that this is not a time to become insular and to oversimplify. So when crisis like this happens, we really want to reach out and capture diversity, not turn in and hunker down. 
So talking to workers is more important now than it ever was. And it was super important a month ago. But but allowing diverse opinions to be a part of the conversation is really, really, really important. The second thing I would tell people is that watch how agile and adaptive people are. Because that's what we've talked about for years. And now we're seeing it actually happen. Those two things, I think, are really important. I don't know if it's very encouraging or if it's if it's it's not be happy, we're going to get through this, although you should be happy and I think we'll get through this. It's really watching the the presence of adaption. It's organizations will will rise and fall. And there will definitely be organizations that fall. They will rise and fall on their ability to actually manage change. Bob, same thing for you. So I, I think the thing, I, I totally agree with what Todd says. Um, I also think that, you know, just the, the continuous, you know, ne- never giving up. I, I mean, I love, I was working with a group last week who are, are actually still very strategically moving forward with some of their key initiatives to try to get better at learning from the worker and listening to the worker and they're adapting and figuring it out. And I kind of, I kind of said, they remind me of, um, of Winston Churchill, you know, when London was being bombed, he, he was down in the, he was kind of down in the bunker there, but he was planning his counterattack. And so I think now is the time to, to, to keep looking for ways to improve and, and not give up and, and look for ways to um, kind of help each other out through this whole thing. Cause I really do believe we're, we are, we're in this together. This thing doesn't discriminate against education, against social status, against how much money you have in the bank or whatever. It doesn't care. And so really should use this as an opportunity as, as humans to pull together and not be divisive and not be, I mean, you look for ways to help each other out for sure. Mark Yeston? I think we have an opportunity to make this into one of the great shared experiences, even though it's in a very unfortunate situation. We're all going to be impacted either by concern or actually bad things happening to family members, particularly the elderly. Um, we're all going to be affected economically. Um, we're all going through different levels of the same thing. You know, we see uh, entertainers and politicians and people that we, you know, respect and admire who are going to fall to this. Uh, there's an opportunity to be, um, to be on the same page, to realize that, you know, I may look at it through a different lens, but we all have very similar concerns as far as our humanity goes. Well, gentlemen, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. And I know that's something out of the norm, but I just think that it was something that our listeners should be able to have a chance to take a listen to your thoughts of what's exactly going on right now inside of the world. So I want to say that number one, I appreciate the friendship among us and I appreciate the time of you doing this. I appreciate it too, Jay. And best wishes to your lovely family. Yes, stay well, stay apart, wash your hands. So that's it. That's the podcast for today. Um, What a long conversation. But it was fun. We had a good time. You could tell. I mean, we had fun. It's fun getting together with people. I, I know you know that, but really create opportunities to get together. Even if it's not through Zoom or through some kind of WebEx or something, it gives you the chance to sort of hang out, and that's worth something. So until then... Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Get somebody else to listen. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be kind to each other and be safe.